In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We've been talking for the last uh, three and some weeks um, about what would a healthy spiritual life look like. If, if my spiritual life was exactly the way God wanted it to be, what would that look like? Um, and what would I be doing from a very practical perspective? And I'm going to summarize the entire series at the very end, as this is the last session, so I'll dive right into um, today's topic right now. The, a fourth element, which is absolutely critical to a healthy spiritual life, is oftentimes what we call fellowship. Fellowship is this, is this word that we use in Christian circles, it's used elsewhere as well, um, um, and it, 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 it denotes uh, some source of membership, some kind of, uh, of belonging. If you had to replace the word fellowship with one word, um, for uh, like its literal meaning, you would probably say use the word to belong. And the meaning that's, that's implied there is that Jesus didn't just call us to believe, he called us to belong. This whole talking about a spiritual life, and we started off by talking about how this has to be in the spirit. How um, when Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, um, he, he, he tells him that you must be born again of water and of spirit. And unless you are born of water and of spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And that the children of God are those who are led by the spirit. So, what does fellowship have anything to do with this? It's very simple, actually. What fellowship has to do with it is that Jesus says, uh, Jesus says about us that we are his bride. St. Paul describes us as the body of Christ. That means that the wholeness of Christ and the whole life of Christ is what we're after. And Jesus describes himself as the head and we are his body. So, the, the wholeness of Christ is only revealed, is only revealed in the union that we have with his body. I've learned something that I, that I feel is very profound in the last few months. That everything is about communion. We use this word communion in church. You could, you know, outside you could call it connected. Work is, you're, you're as effective at your job as effectively that you are connected with with your organization, with your boss, you know what you know what his expectations are, you know what he wants um, or she wants, and you know um, how to achieve those things. You know what your clients want. Um, uh, in all contexts, it's connectedness that usually modulates our effectiveness, and it's usually connectedness that also co commonly causes us to fail. Well, guess what? What God wants from us is connectedness with Him and connectedness with each other. And in, a, in the Christian context, we call that a very special kind of connectedness, which is communion. And that communion begins not only um, in a liturgical sense or a ritualistic sense or a prayerful sense, but it, it begins right here. It begins right now. It begins with you. And with me, it begins with us sharing um, our lives together. Belonging is this really kind of weird thing. But if we try to break it down, 
There's, there's areas in life where I feel like I really belong, and there's other places or with other people or other circumstances where I really don't feel like I belong. And it's a very kind of inside thing, inside feeling that is so deep inside, it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to, to put words to it. But if we think about it, belonging is being accepted or accepting that I am a member, that I am a part of something. And that's exactly what Jesus is calling us to do. He's calling us to be part of his body. He's calling us to be part of his family. He's calling us to welcome others also to be a part of that same, of that same family. Belonging is a celebration of similarities. And it works easiest when those similarities are most apparent. However, something else which is really remarkable is that our differences play a really big role in belonging as well. I'll tell you how. One of the strongest things we can do to make somebody feel that they belong is actually not to ignore their differences, but to acknowledge them. To say, you know what? You, you are different than me. You, you know, I'm me and you're you, and we're going to be different in some ways, but that's okay. I'm okay with that, right? And here are our similarities, and we celebrate those. And you know what our difference is? To, to actively or openly or explicitly in some fashion acknowledge them and, to, and reaffirm that that's okay. It's okay that we're different. It's okay that you're a guy and I'm a girl. You're taller than me or I'm shorter than you or whatever it may be. It's okay that maybe we speak a different language. It's okay that, and there's many different ways to do that. You know, you, you can use the, 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 the phrase, it's okay, but a hug, a handshake, a hand on the shoulder in, in the moment, in the moment of, of seeing and acknowledging differences is a great way to generate that sense of belonging. So we see that we see that fellowship is this belonging and celebrating similarities and acknowledging differences and acknowledging that that's okay. But that's not all, because that could apply to friendship. So there's different things here. There's a general sense of belonging, then there's friendship, and then there's fellowship, the way we're kind of talking about it here. The way that friendship is different is friendship is usually based in not only similarities, because there's a lot of people in this world that I'm similar to. I'm, I'm five nine and three quarters. I'm sure there's a million other people in this world that are five nine and three quarters, but I wouldn't call them all my friends. So what is it that what is it that gives me that gives me a sense of friendship with somebody? It's oftentimes shared positive experiences. Um, in a previous series, we talked about um, making friends. Um, and ways you can make friends and so on. We talked all, all about that stuff and we talked as a, a rule of thumb, you know, that you're kind of well on the road to friendship is if you've done something worthy of taking a picture of with somebody. Then, you know, like, you know, you're kind of well on the road to friendship. So friendship is rooted in maybe common shared positive experiences, shall we say. But fellowship is yet a little different again. It, there's an aspect of belonging, there's an aspect of shared experiences, but there's something else. Because like we said when we first started this whole series, is that we're talking about milestones of the Kingdom Way. Like what are landmarks that I should see on my way to the Kingdom, on my way to Heaven. 
We talked about prayer and worship and so on. I'll summarize the series a little bit more in depth at the very end, right? And if fellowship is one of them, we talked about how this way is a spiritual way. So the other marker, which is so deeply important at fellowship, which really distinguishes fellowship that I have along the kingdom way, with those who are traveling along the kingdom way, versus the fellowship that I have, or friendship, or sense of belonging that I have with others, colleagues, friends, at work, and so on, is that the Holy Spirit is present and active and working there, and acknowledged by all. So it's not like I'm here in a group of friends, and I'm praying, and I feel God very much present, and everyone else is oblivious. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how each one of us is really enjoying the presence of God in this, in, um, in this, in this circle. And then all of a sudden, these other things become less important. Like we said, like it's about commonality. As the thing that we have common in common is God, the other things become you know, somewhat less important. Not less important to the point that they don't matter anymore, but somewhat less important. There are many people, I'll tell you the truth, there are many people who come to church who don't feel like they belong, but they still come to church. Why? Because they share something in common with the people that they don't feel like they belong to. They share God in common, and they're coming to meet God. So you're coming to meet God, I'm coming to meet God. I don't really feel like I belong in your circle or whatever, but I'm coming for God. And that's something that we share. So we find now that there's a new word that we're saying over and over again, which is sharing. And we're going to find that the, the active verb of fellowship is sharing. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Why is it so important? Why is this like, like there are a multitude of other things we could have talked about. I didn't talk about fasting. Um, I didn't talk yet formally about liturgy. We talked about worship in general, but I didn't talk about, uh, I didn't talk about liturgy. We didn't talk about confession formally. We spoke about repentance and self-examination. But why, why, why did we jump right to fellowship because it was one of the cornerstones and continues to be one of the cornerstones of the early church. If we read a description of the early church in Acts chapter 2, we find that it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. So what did they do? There were four things that they did consistently. They learned the doctrine of the apostles. They had fellowship. And they prayed together, and they, they, what our reading of this is they broke bread, they celebrated liturgically together. They celebrated the liturgy together. But they had something that ties all of these things together, and that is fellowship. And that fellowship is rooted in a sense of belonging, either in a sense of belonging because we're similar in many ways, we're in a similar life stage, we're a similar age, um, similar socioeconomic class, similar this, similar that or similar in something much different, um, I wish to say almost much deeper, but I guess to each their own, right? Rooted in God. And that's what distinguishes this specific fellowship that I'm talking about from um, friendship and all of these kinds of other things, the, the real presence um, of God. Now I wanna get real practical, right? There are really things that make us feel like we don't belong. There are things that make it difficult for us to belong. And we all kind of do some of these things. And until, you know, it was really Alpha, um, the very first time we did Alpha or something like it called Life 101, 
That's really what sensitized me to all of this. When you're trying to create um, an all-inviting and all-encompassing environment, I really had to relearn a lot of my go-to social behaviors. I'm a very sarcastic person. Sarcasm doesn't usually make someone feel like they belong. Even if you do it in a funny way, even if you kind of smile at the person afterwards and kind of, you know, give them that, that look of sympathy, like, you know, I wasn't trying to, I wasn't actually trying to laugh at you, I was trying to laugh with you. I'm sorry if it kind of didn't go, come out quite right, you know, and they kind of smile back. But in retrospect, like looking back, I probably would have been better off not being sarcastic in the first place. And if I had to go and do it again, which I will, because God will give me many more opportunities for fellowship, maybe I should avoid sarcasm. Another one of my go-to behaviors that I've really had to drop is inside jokes. I have lots and lots of really great experiences with people and I do lots of really dumb things all the time. So it's really easy for me to put to you know to pick an an experience that you and I have had that is inside to you and me. But what does that mean? That means that it's outside to everybody else. And you and I reminiscing and laughing our heads off about some goofy thing that I did in the past is funny to us and is excluding to everybody else. So inside jokes are really another threat, um, another threat to um, our fellowship. Another one is um, lack of invitation. Um, in a, a previous life when I was um, a bachelor and so on, I used to have people over for dinner all the time and um, I would hum and haw about um, whether I should invite people if I knew they couldn't come. Like if I know that you have some prior obligation, should I invite you or is that annoying? Like especially if you told me that, oh, like, you know, pray for me, I have to go over to my, you know, in-law's place this, uh, you know, tomorrow night and I'm sure it's going to be um, really special, right? And I'm sure I'll pray for you and then I decide to have a dinner party tomorrow night. Should I tell you? Should I invite you or not? After a lot of thinking and prayer, I realized, you know what? Invite people. How many times have you felt offended because you weren't invited to something? And then how many times have you felt offended because you were invited to something, although the person invited you knowing that you couldn't come? If you're really that worried, you're going to invite people because you're inviting them to things that they can't come to and they know that you can't come. Tell them, I know you told me you have to go to your in-laws and you're really dreading it tomorrow. However, if you can get out early, you're more than welcome to come over to my place. A bunch of people are coming over for dinner or whatever. There is a way to phrase it to make people feel <coughs> that they are important and wanted. There's another thing also that is, and all of these things are unintentional. Like, I don't think, I'm not talking about maliciously excluding people. Like, that's, that's like its own thing. I, and I don't think that that's the issue. I think the, the, the issue is when we do these things without knowing. Another thing that, that we do sometimes is out of goodwill, we decide, you know what? Like the, like the gospel says, um, I'm going to treat everybody with impartiality. I'm going to love everybody. I'm going to treat everybody like, you know, the, the same. But truth be told, there are people that all of us, every one of us, have a little bit more difficulty dealing with. And maybe our personalities are so similar that we butt heads. Or maybe we're just so from completely different worlds. Sometimes when we deal with the people that we would consider difficult, be they difficult or not, or maybe it's a matter of perception or whatever, but that's for another day, right? When we deal with people who are difficult, sometimes we over 
exert ourselves. Sometimes we try too hard. What I mean to say is that sometimes, sometimes um, I give too much of myself more than what my boundaries and my capacity are. So I start off being really nice to this person and then I end up at the end being resentful and being upset. So my suggestion is, is when we deal um, uh, with people that we have a, an inkling that, oh, you know, um, you know, you see somebody's name on your collar and you're like, oh, I shouldn't, I'm not going to answer. No, I should answer. So you tell yourself, no, I'm going to answer. So okay, you, you answer or you, you meet somebody on the street or, or whatever, right? Um, my suggestion is that you and I both say a prayer and say, Lord, give me to know my boundaries. Give me to know what is what I'm able to do, how much love I'm able to give, and where my boundaries kind of are, and where I'm going to kind of, you know, my goodwill might turn into a little bit of resentment. There's a couple of other things that also kind of make it make it hard for us to make people feel like they um, like they belong um, and have access to that spiritual fellowship that we're talking about. Another one is. Um, gossip and rumors and stuff like that. Um, I learned a lot actually, we brought this up in our men's group uh, once, one of the few times I was able to attend, and I actually learned a lot from uh, what, what um, the guys had to say, and I'll share with you their thoughts. Um, so there are obvious solutions to gossip, which is to change the subject is one, and another one is to just kind of extricate yourself and just get up and walk away. Um, but there's, there's another one that I had, I had never thought of, um, and it's to align yourself with the person who's being gossiped about. Suppose, suppose um, you know, we're talking about Fetty, and we say, oh, Fetty's always late, you know, and gosh, I wish he'd come on time, and this, and this, and that, right? Um, I can sit quietly, I can try to change the topic, I can walk away, or I can say, you know what, I always have, I have a lot of difficulty making it on time places too. Um, you know, like, uh, maybe you guys have some advice of how I can be a little bit more on time. Now, if they continue, like, if can people continue, like, you know, using that as a reason to gossip, they're actually talking smack about you. So they, that's very kind of awkward, and people generally, it generally kind of, it generally kind of stops the gossip. Another, um, another threat to our fellowship is unforgiveness. Look, we're all human. I'm sure... I have said or done something or lacked or didn't do something that has offended almost everybody here. But you all gracious people and have chosen to forgive me, I think, right? Um, when I hold unforgiveness in my heart, when I feel offended or hurt by somebody and I choose to hold on to that, it harms me and it robs me of the ability to have fellowship and to share um, with, with other people. Um, and the last one is kind of very paradoxical. It's our own insecurities, and it's probably the most common. People do something really funny. When they feel insecure sometimes in a social, social environment, they will purposefully make somebody else feel excluded, either consciously or unconsciously. Because you see, either you're in or you're out. So if you're out, then that makes me in. And that makes me feel a little bit better about myself, right? So being conscious of our insecurities is a great way to kind of ask ourselves, why do I do these things? Why do I make inside jokes when I'm with people? Why do I make sarcastic comments that may go off well, but they may, but they may not? 
Why do I do these things? Um, and see if it's re rooted in insecurity. And if it is, dealing with those insecurities rather than letting them be harmful to, to me is, um, is probably m much more helpful. And the reality is this. Most of our insecurities are insecurities we have about us and our relationship with others. Now, isn't it paradoxical that I am excluding someone else to make myself feel better? In the long run, that is going to that is going to increase the insecurities that I have between me, for example, and that other person. It's going to increase the tension and increase the person, for example, that I excluded. So all of these things are things for us to think about um, and, you know, not to become like crazy hypersensitive about them, but all of these things, if we just avoid doing these things with a little bit of love, all of a sudden everything we do becomes something that is very inclusive. Now, on the positive side, what are things we can do to actively have fellowship, spiritual fellowship, like we're talking, a spiritual belonging or sharing with others? 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, St. John says, That which we have seen and heard we declare unto you, that you also might have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. What is St. John saying here? He's saying that what we've seen and what we've heard that we've testified to you that we might have fellowship with you. So fellowship is rooted in sharing, in sharing our experiences, our experiences of God. He's not talking about what we've seen, what we've heard. I went to the ROM and I saw this beautiful art exhibit. He's talking about what we have seen and what we have heard of God. So for me to have spiritual fellowship with you is for me to share my experience of God with you and for you to share your experience of God with me, be it joyful or be it painful. So there's some very simple ways of doing that. I'll tell you something. Um, several years ago, um, a couple of years into my priesthood, um, uh, I was speaking with my spiritual father and I was telling him that like, like Abuna, I don't feel that there's much use in my visiting with people um, and spending time with them in coffee shops and so on. I go and I listen and they tell me what's going on and I pray for them and uh, that's about it. But it doesn't really amount to, amount to much. Like, like I, would, I would have an expectation that God is going to be very present. And he asked me a question. He asked me, how often do you open the Bible with people? I said, well... I don't know, like, uh, I mean, I don't know the answer, but uh, off the top of my head, uh, maybe half the times or so, like if it's kind of like we're talking about something and I mentioned a verse and then, you know, like then we, but if it doesn't kind of come up, then he told me, I suggest you try being intentional about physically opening the Bible and reading something together. So I tried that and I found that it made a remarkable it made a remarkable difference. The reason is, is that um, I used to lead a whole lot of workshops um, in college and university about effective, leading effective discussions. And if you want to discuss anything with anyone, you need to have a, a, a thing in common. Example, in Alpha, we watch a video and then we discuss it. Whether we agree or we disagree, it doesn't matter. But if we're all people from different walks of life and, you know, you have to choose something that you have in common. Um, so. Opening, opening scripture and putting it in front of us is a great way of us having something in common from a very practical perspective 
But that thing that we have in common is not a thing, it's a person. And that person is Jesus. So, um, so that's a really simple and great way for us to share our experiences, to share our thoughts, and to share our lives together. Um, and, and, and this can be in a you know, more formal sense, like a Bible study, which is planned and scheduled. It could be in a spontaneous sense. I remember I, um, a, a long time ago, um, uh, before, long before priesthood, um, I, take, I take my Bible with me everywhere. I've done that for, for, for 20 years or more. Um, and uh, I was sitting at a restaurant, and somebody mentioned something. And I opened the Bible, and I said, yeah, like, like in this verse. And somebody smiled and said, like, John, we're in a restaurant. You know, like, I don't know if this is an appropriate place. And I kind of smiled, and I was like, like, but how is it inappropriate? Like, how is it not the right place to, to do this? Uh, how is it not the right place to, to sit and to share? When is there a place or a, a right or wrong place for us to share um, our relationship um, with God? Um, and very, very quickly that became the norm amongst my circle of friends um, in Vancouver was for somebody to pull out a Bible while we're, while we're eating dinner um, um, and, uh, and share. And we would just talk about and share what we were doing. So it could be, um, it could be scheduled or it can be spontaneous. Um, another thing that, that is really a, a great way of sharing um, our lives together and sharing our experiences with God together is prayer. Um, I, I never experienced more power in prayer than I did when I prayed, truly prayed with others. So um, sometimes, you know, again, if the circumstances lend themselves or if you want to create the circumstances, you can have a small prayer group, again, spontaneously or, or, uh, or, or not. Small groups are also a really great way of having fellowship. Having a small group of people, six to eight people, ten people, um, that you meet regularly with for a period of six to eight weeks uh, or longer or a little shorter. Um, dinner discussion series are basically small groups all in one place, but each dinner table ends up becoming like a small group where you sit and you discuss and you just have open and frank discussion where God is present. Um, and then in private, you can have fellowship too. You can have fellowship in your, in your room, behind a closed door, alone. You say, well, wait a minute, Father John, who am I sharing with if I'm alone? Well, in, in, in Orthodox Church, we don't believe that those who have departed have vanished, have disappeared, or been, you know, been like, uh, you know, Star Trek beamed up to some other universe in, of which we have no access. But rather that they are very present and living with us. So I encourage you, I encourage you to jump onto the most amazing experience ever, which is to try to have fellowship with the saints. Um, in the beginning, you'll say, well, which saint should I try to become friends with? Really, I don't have an answer for you. All of the people that I know are friends with saints, all of them feel that that saint came and sought them out. But all of them also had a very special um, love and desire for all the saints. So my suggestion to you is to see as the feasts of different saints come up, read their stories. You'll find uh, in Coptic Reader, like I was saying uh, last week, right, that there are the, um, these things called doxologies. So you can go um, 
uh, you can go uh, like in Coptic Reader in the index and find the, the saints and you'll find a whole bunch of different saints listed and you'll find each saint has a doxology. Usually it's like a song which tells the story of, of the saint. If you don't know the tune, you don't have to necessarily sing it, but just just praying those words is a way for you to communicate, is a way for you to speak with that saint. Um, and you can develop a, a, a really beautiful relationship with, um, with the unseen world. And it becomes really beautiful to know that you have friends on the other side, that there are people waiting for you on the other side, longing to meet you, and I'm longing, I'm longing to meet some saints that I've gotten to know very well here on earth. I'm longing to meet them. I'm dying to know what they, what they look like. Of course, there's a little fringe benefit from that last thing, is that now I have friends, you know, and now I have friends in the White House, not just in the White House, I have friends in the Oval Office. I have a friend in the throne room, right? And necessarily, I'm constantly asking my friends who are right there by the throne of God, I'm asking them for help. These are very simple things that we can do to foster spiritual fellowship, which is different from friendship and different from a, a general sense of belonging. So, summarizing our series, we started off in the first week by talking that um, we're talking about a new life in the spirit, different from, um, different from the life of the hustle and the bustle and the activity that we're always doing. And, and it starts with repentance and asking God to fill us with His Spirit. And as He does that, it leads us to examine ourselves and, to, and, and it leads us to this practice of daily and weekly and monthly self-examination that we talked about on the first week. In the second week, we talked about worship and we talked about worship being personal or being communal being prescribed, like things that have been written out beforehand or being spontaneous, um, but developing your own kind of style of worship, um, that there are prayers that, that are, have been written out and have been prayed for thousands of years that you like to pray, that's great. But you also like to pray when you're alone, that's great. But you also like to pray when you're with others, that's great. And you like to sing, and you like to this, and you like, and seeing all of these different options that you have, and choosing from them the things that, um, that speak to you, and also trying to learn a little bit more about the things that you know um, would be good for you, even if you kind of, um, they don't speak too much. The, the, the third week, last week, we talked about revelation, about how God is so great and so awesome that he can only be known to us by revelation. We need for him to be revealed to us. And we talked about how the Holy Spirit reveals God to us through scripture and through and uh, through our lives and today we talked about fellowship both about belonging and about the threats to that and about how we can foster a sense of belonging there are lots of other things that we could talk about when we talk about spiritual life but if I had to choose just four things four kind of simple cornerstones of a spiritual life four things that really make you know, um, like, uh, that really stand out, that could be landmarks, that could be lighthouses along the path of spiritual life, I would probably choose those four. God bless you and give you a great and fantastic week, and we'll see you again uh, starting Friday with the Holy Week schedule. Let's pray.